You can turn in your Bibles to James, the third chapter, and verse 13. You can turn there in your Bibles or just look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. You ever seen those commercials? I don't think they've been on recently, but they were on some time ago, advertising the cell phone and the cellular static in the line caused the message to be garbled a little bit. One in particular, the, the woman said, uh, telling her husband, he said, bring home a movie, something old. And the husband, because of all the static, what he heard was, bring home a monkey with a cold. <laughs> and they had a few of those things that went up. And so the, the message was the, trying to be clear, but instead of bringing home the movie, something old, he brought a monkey with a thermometer in his mouth and just uh, things like that go, going on. But we talked last week, looking at First John chapter 4 and verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He said, do not believe every spirit. He's writing to Christians. Christians can hear the wrong spirit. Just because you're born again does not mean you automatically hear from the Spirit of God. There are plenty of other spirits to hear from. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That means there's more than one or two. There's a bunch of them out there. But don't believe them all. Just because you hear something in the Spirit does not mean you put trust in it. That's what he goes on to say. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't put trust in that which you heard. But test the spirits. Put them to the test. Find out, is this what you want it to be? Is this the right thing? Is this... You've got to test it. Just because you look at it doesn't mean that it's all that good. How many of y'all know that your water that comes through your home is constantly tested? People outside of you go out there and they test it to make sure that the wrong things are not in the water. Because when you look at the water, doesn't it look right? I mean, if it came through rusty red, brown, you would be suspicious. But most times we can't see the things that are in the water. They're, they're tested. And so we, we, we are glad that companies out there test the water and let us know, oh, there's too much of this in there or too much of this in there. And maybe some things would impact the taste and you could taste that something wasn't quite right. But most times we, we don't get to do that. We can't taste it. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Put them to the test. So we were looking last week about putting these things to the test. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now remember, the test that we are to put the spirit through is not, is what is being revealed truth or false? That's not the test. The test is, is it of God? Don't get distracted. People sometimes, they hear something from God and they go out and try and prove whether it's true or not. Just because the thing is true does not make it of God. That's what we have to test. Is it of God? Have you ever seen somebody put up a, a Facebook post and you saw who put it up and you saw what was written and you're thinking, they don't write stuff like that. You don't know whether the thing is right or not. What you're judging is, I don't think that so-and-so actually wrote that. One of the things that was, was constantly going on, on on Facebook, one of the guys I like to, to follow after on that is uh, Brother Doug Jones. 
Now, Brother Doug Jones, for, he must have gotten better at this, but for a while it seemed like he was leaving his phone in different places. And one of his in-laws, one of his daughter-in-laws or, or someone like that, would grab his phone and write all kinds of flowering things about themselves in Doug's, in, in, in Doug's uh, voice. He write, I thank God for my daughter-in-law. She is the best. She is the best daughter-in-law I could ever have. I can't believe. And just write all these nice flowery things. And so then you look at the comments that are put up there because Doug has a lot of followers. And people are saying, ah, you've been hacked again, huh? <laughs> Somebody picked up the phone. We, we know Brother Doug. We know he writes nice things about people, but that's not the way Brother Doug is going to phrase this. And so we, we, we know, all right, it might be true, it might not be true, but it's not of Brother Doug. That's all God says. Test the spirits to see if it's of me. Because sometimes we fall into this deception that just because a thing is true, it's of God. Understand the enemy will present truth just misapplied. And if you try and discern something either true or false, you can get into the wrong thing. So, Test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many. So many Christians obviously fell for the wrong spirit, didn't test it, put faith in it, and went on. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom that does not, this wisdom does not descend from above but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What he's showing you here is the nature of of this wisdom. There is a wisdom that comes from above. There is a wisdom that it does not come from above. The one that comes from above, this is its nature. This is what it's like. The, nat- the nature of that which does not come from above, which is demonic, it says, sensual, earthly. This, he says, this wisdom does not descend from above. It doesn't come from God. Its source is not God. Now, he says this in verse 16, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Do not raise your hands. Use your inside hand on this. How many of you have ever been confused about whether something is God speaking to you or something else? Now look at this verse. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion And every evil thing are there. If we are confused, it is mostly because we have brought envy and self-seeking in and didn't even realize it. Now, we're going to show you some examples in the scriptures. I want you to see how this works. If you can get rid of the envy and self-seeking that the enemy tries to infuse in you. Remember, it says this wisdom doesn't come from above. Its source is not God. And if it gets on the inside of you, it brings with it confusion and every evil thing. And you will more often than not be confused about whether something is of God, from God, or whether God has spoken to you at all. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. One of the easiest places to go, but we're going to go here. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings and they heard the sound of the Lord God and walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All right, let's take a look at this. We've been over this uh, verse of scripture how many times? But we're going to look at it here for this purpose. Remember James. This wisdom does not descend from above. But it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. So here is Satan taking over the serpent. And he asked them, Has God said? Has God indeed said? And so she she quoted what she knew God to be to have said. Now we know that actually what God told Adam was, you may eat from any tree in the garden, but the tree in the center of the garden, you shall not eat. He may have added, don't touch it. She may have added, somebody added, don't touch it. But it's, I don't know, if I'm not supposed to eat it, I think I'm better off just not touching it. That's, uh, it's, it's not necessarily bad, but you have certainly added to it. Now if you touch it, you're not going to die. That's not the, what the command was. But is she unclear about what God has said. We can eat from any tree in the garden, but that tree, we're not supposed to eat from it. She's pretty clear about it. Was it a complicated word? It's a pretty easy word, really, wasn't it? You can eat from any tree in the garden except the one in the midst of the garden. That one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, stay away from that one. Don't eat it. That's pretty easy. This is not complicated stuff. Eat from all these. Don't eat from this one. So it's not hard to understand. This is command from God. So it wasn't complicated. They seemed like they understood it. They understood. You can eat from that tree, 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 that tree. And they just kept on going. Because there's a lot of trees in the garden. But that tree, don't eat from it. Now what they knew clearly was made cloudy. Did they know it clearly? They knew what they were supposed to do. Were they operating in that sphere of that knowledge? They were. They were doing just fine. But then something happened. Someone came along and brought a wrong kind of wisdom. It did not descend from above. It is earthly, demonic, sensual, That's how James described it. What they knew clearly was made cloudy. Now, how was this done? First off, questioning. What do you know? One of the things that this type of wisdom will do is it begins to question. Well, is Jesus really the only way? Has God said that that's wrong? I mean, has He really said that's wrong? Has has God really said that people can't do this? Has he really said that? 
How many times have we seen this going on today? Has God really said that a man can't marry a man? Has God really said that? Well, yeah. He did. But you see, we, we muddy it. We're making it cloudy. It's real clear in the Word of God. If you go in the Bible, it's real clear. Don't do it. Real, real clear. But then we mess around with it. Now, how many of you ever known Christians who have um, committed adultery with someone in the church? Because God led them there. God brought them into their life. Really? Has God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery unless I lead you into it? <laughs> Hasn't said that, has he? No. But what happened with that person? Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure we all know people that uh, they were going along just fine. God was using them. God was ministering with them. And, and all of a sudden, they detoured. Sometimes you don't even see it. Just all of a sudden, so-and-so went off with so-and-so. And What happened? Well, they accepted another kind of wisdom to come on in. Well, I think God has seen my need over here. Or God has seen my plight. And God has brought this along. Uh, no. That is not the case. But, you know, we, we come up with, with ways to do it. And, I mean, even in less, less things. How many of you have gone on a diet and on the particular diet that you are on, pizza is not on that? Big Macs are not on that diet. However, you particularly got hungry and drove by the McDonald's and all of a sudden you heard wisdom. And thou shalt eat a Big Mac and be full. Right? Well, maybe God is speaking to me that it's okay for me to go ahead and have that Big Mac right now. And so you went in there and that one Big Mac was so good you had two. And then the diet kind of went away. Now, I'm not telling you that God has said, Thou shalt not eat pizza and thou shalt not eat Big Macs. But if you get on a particular thing and you try and stay with it, you all know things are going to come along to try and pull you off of it. Certainly, when you try and walk according to the, to the things of God. You know this when you were dating, are dating, whatever, that the Word of God has given us certain principles in that. How many of us know those principles are sometimes hard to live by? And in this world, we're given all kinds of reasons not to live that way. This world has decided that certain cuss words are okay. And so we begin to speak. Some Christians cuss as much as the world does. Well, I'm not going to go to hell because I'm cussing. No, you're not. That doesn't mean that you should do it. I, now, you know, know me. There are some words that Christians, pastors in the pulpit use. And I won't even use them in common conversation. But they're considered to be acceptable. They're not acceptable to me. I, I just have not gone in that way. There are some I hear people say them all the time. And I just, you'll never hear me say. If you do not hear me say a word, there's a reason for it. To me, it's an inappropriate word. If it's inappropriate here in the, in the pulpit, it's inappropriate for me out in, in life. I don't, I don't try to have two different standards on that. I, I don't say things with the name of God in it except when I'm worshiping and talking about God. That's, now, if you don't and you have gone another direction, uh, you, you do what you need to do in that. But this is the, these are the things that I'm doing. I've, I listen to the, to the Word of God on this. I wear a tie every time we have church. 
Not because God has said, thou shalt wear a tie. There's a lot of, a lot of preachers and I'll tell you what, fun, folks from my own school sat under Brother Hagin who come to, to church now more sloppy than I, I don't know, I don't know what Brother Hagin would do with all that, but I don't do it because I'm trying to impress people. I don't do it for any other reason that um, principles that were instilled in me and I just don't let them go. And you shall not go to hell because you don't wear a tie. That's not it. And if we have other ministers in, sometimes they ask me, you know, well, what kind of stuff do I actually wear what you want? There's no rule that says you have to wear a tie. What are you going to wear? They'll ask me. Well, I wear a tie. <laughs> And that's up to them if they want to, to do that. And, um, you know, if they want to wear blue jeans, that's fine. There are some things, you know, that you can get legalistic on, but God has not said those things. But they're just principles that you, that you live by and principles that you feel that are important. But there are some things that God has come out and said. And there are some things with our language. There's some things with our behavior. There's some things with the way we conduct ourselves on dates. Some things we conduct ourselves as husbands and wives. Things that we do conduct ourselves as parents that we need to hold to. But the world's wisdom will come in and try and make what is clear cloudy. Isn't that right? Now, don't raise your hands on this one either. But how many of you have ever in your past dated someone who was not born again? Now, we know from the Word of God, it says, Thou shalt not be unequally yoked. So why in the world are you messing around with dating someone who's not born again? But we've done How many times have people have done it? They've justified it. Well, I think I'm supposed... What was clear became cloudy. Now, we've studied the Word of God on healing for, for a long time. You folks have been around that. We are clear on the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, for our sickness and disease. That healing is just as alive today as it was before. But how many of you know Christians going to church for decades? Well, I'm not sure that God wants me healed. Hmm. How did what was clear become cloudy? How did they become unsure about these things? Remember in the, in the Bible, Jesus had one person in particular came up to him and says, if you are willing, you can make me whole. Jesus said, I am willing. I am willing. But see, people, have, we've gotten cloudy in this. Well, I know God can do this. I'm just not sure that God will do this or that God will do it for me or that God wants to do it. Or sometimes people have heard things from God, things they are to do, things they are to say, things they are to believe. And we're wondering, hmm. So here's how it's done. Here's how, first off, the thing that will happen is, just like it was here in this story, is the questioning comes in. Has God indeed said? Just getting you to question. Think of it this way. When we were young, growing up, there was a time, you know, mom and dad would say, do not cross the street. Now, how many of you knew that rule? Mom, dad were real clear. Do not cross the street. But what do you do when you hit the ball and the ball went across the street? Well, the only way I can get the ball is to go across the street. So I'm not just going to cross the street to cross the street, but I'm going to cross the street to get the ball. And mom sees you out there crossing the street to get the ball. And what happens? 
Why are you out in the street? <laughs> what was clear became cloudy. Has mom really said, thou shalt not go out in the street to get your ball when it goes out? Does God want me to, or does mom want me to lose the ball? Then she'd have to buy a new one. I don't think she'd like that. See, we, we begin to question. We begin to reason amongst ourselves. We begin to, to do things and we're taking what was clear. We're just stirring it up, making it a little cloudy. Making it a little funny. Question, what do you know? Then, the fishing starts. Do you want something more? Has God really said? Well, this is what he said. And we spell it out. No, see, that's not true. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. But God knows in the day that you eat of that tree, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And that's not really a lie. Right now, all they know is good. How many of you would like to go back to the days where all we know is good? How many are tired of knowing about evil? Yeah. But for them, this seemed to be, be like God. Ah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be something. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, verse 6, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, what kind of wisdom? Not the wisdom that comes from above, but the kind that is sensual, demonic. She also gave her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked. The eyes of them were, were closed to some things before this. But now all of a sudden they're open to them. And it's not necessarily a good thing. And the first thing they, they did was they became embarrassed. That doesn't sound like it was had great results for them. And when God came down, they hid themselves. Up till now, they've been talking with God, walking with God. Was it clear what God wanted? It was very clear. They had no problem understanding it. They knew who said it. But you see, the enemy wants to he'll come in, he'll get you the question first, throw some questions at you, see how you do with those questions, and then begin to fish. Don't you want to have this? Why is God keeping this from you? You can have your Christianity and do this too. Begins fishing. And then the challenge comes. Go ahead, eat it. Go ahead. Because the day you eat it, you're not going to die, but you're going to know good and evil, just like God does. Now, what was clear is made cloudy through envy and self-seeking. What does he do? He makes them envious of a state that God has that he has withheld from them. You will become as God, knowing both good and evil. Don't you want that for yourself? Don't you want to be able to know both good and evil? This is how God is. But that's not how you are. Become envious of who God is and self-seeking. They will become self look at the Look at the words again. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, verse 5, and you will be like God. You will be like God. Is that self-seeking? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So envy and self-seeking came in the picture and caused what was clear 
to become cloudy. Up until the time this serpent showed up, did they believe that God said, you shall eat from any tree you want to in the garden, but not this one. When they took from the tree, did they believe anymore that God said, thou shalt eat from any tree in the garden except this one. See, they knew God. If they still truly believed that God said this and God meant it as they understood it, do you think they would have done it? But I brought questions in their mind. They brought reasons for them to have doubts. Well, maybe it's not quite the way that God said. Maybe it's a little bit different. They don't want to leave God. They don't want to go away from God. I put in your outline this. If I cannot be made to want something that God has not given me, promised me, or made available to me, I will not go against His Word. Why do we date the wrong people? Because I'm afraid I won't get what I want. Why do we keep a job that is getting us to compromise our beliefs in Christianity? Because I believe that's all I can do. That's hard for us. First Samuel 13, verse 8. 1 Samuel chapter 13, and verse 8. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. This is speaking of Saul. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Samuel went out to meet him that he might greet him. I'm sorry. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Is Saul in any way unclear of the role of a king and the role of the of the priest. He is, not on, he is waiting for Samuel to show up to exercise what is supposed to be done by the priest and make the sacrifice. And Samuel said, I will be there. Wait for me seven days. And I will be there. It doesn't mean he's coming on the fifth day. It doesn't mean he's coming on the sixth day. It means he's coming on the seventh day. He's on the seventh day. He's looking around at things that are going on and he has clouded the water because he's looking at the things that are happening. People are scattering. The Philistines are gathering. This isn't, this isn't good. We need to keep the people around here. He became so convinced. It became so cloudy for him. He became so convinced that what he did was perfectly fine that when he heard that Samuel is here, he doesn't say, Oh, but I stepped in and I did what I shouldn't have done. What did he do? Oh, good. I'm going to go meet him. He's going to be so happy about what I've done. Hmm. And the first words out of Samuel's mouth are not, Hi, how you doing? It's been a while. Missed seeing you the last couple of weeks. Would have liked to have seen you sooner. Uh, no. What have you done? What have you done? If you walk into work and the first thing out of your boss's mouth is, what have you done? How many are knowing, oh, this is not going to be a good day. <laughs> this, this is not good. If you walk home and your spouse says to you, what have you done? This is not going to be a good day. If you are a child and come home from the school and mom or dad look at you and say, what have you done? 
How many of you know you go from a happy countenance to, oh no. What have, these, are, these are not good words to hear. What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Of course, it's everybody else's fault, right? The people were scattering. You didn't come. The Philistines are gathering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. James, remember this one? The wisdom that comes from above. He describes how it is. And then the other wisdom is sensual, earthly, demonic. That wisdom will make you look foolish. He says to him, You have done foolishly. First he says, What have you done? Then he says, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So put yourself in Saul's shoes. Not all of this is in the word of God. But if you put yourself in Saul's shoes, you can kind of live this out the way Saul is. So here you are. You're the king, new king. Samuel made you king. And Samuel says, gather the people over here and wait seven days. I'm going to come. We're going to make the sacrifice. And you're going to go into battle and do well. All right. He gathers the people. He's there. Wait seven days. On the seventh day, people are beginning to scatter. This was not part of the plan. The Philistines are all gathering. Samuel is... Not necessarily delayed. He's supposed to be there on the, on the seventh day. It is the seventh day. He's not late. He just didn't come early. And so, wisdom is beginning to come into Saul's mind. People are scattering. You need these people to defeat these Philistines. If these people leave you, you're going to go into battle with a small force and you will be defeated. What will people think of you then. Will people have any respect for you? First king of Israel. Can't even keep the people for battle. And you're going to go in there and you might even die. This is not going to be a good situation. This is not a good king. You need to make a decision based on what's going to help your country. What's going to help your nation. And what's going to help your nation is a victory right now. And the only way you're going to get that victory is to keep these people here. Can you, can you begin to think these things? How are you going to keep these people here unless you make the sacrifice? Now, who, who here is better qualified than you? If Samuel were here, he'd be the best one to do it. But he's not here. So you've got to make a decision. You've got to be king. You've got to step up to the plate and make a decision and decide who's going to make this sacrifice. Who's going to do it, Saul? I guess I need to do it. That's right. You need to be king. You need to make a decision. Now get out there and do this thing. And so he's now thinking that what he's doing is right. So much so that when Samuel comes, he goes out to meet him. And he's happy. Now, was it unclear what Saul was supposed to do? Was it unclear at all? What, what did Samuel say? 
He said, go over there, gather the people, wait seven days. He didn't wait seven days. He didn't have much. He had a, a sentence. He had a sentence. That was it. But look at the thing that he did. When I saw, then I said, and so I felt. I felt compelled. I felt compelled. He said in verse 12, Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. But it said he has done foolishly. And God was going to look for someone else. Step out there and to do that. So is there envy and self-seeking here? Sure is. If he got rid of the envy and self-seeking, he wouldn't have been confused. Get rid of the envy and self-seeking and you bring all the folks here and, uh, and that thought comes to you. And that thought is, you better do something to keep all these people around. And the thought is, my job is not to keep the people around. My job was to gather them here. My job was to wait for Samuel to get here. And Samuel's job is to make the sacrifice. It's not my job. It's Samuel's job. Just rest in it. Just rest in it. He couldn't do it. Envy and self-seeking were brewing on the inside. And he went in a different direction. First Samuel 15, verse 1. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. That's going back a ways. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Now really, the, com- the command is very, sh- very short, but then it's even explained. Here's the command. Now go. That's the first thing, right? You have to go and attack Amalek. He didn't just say attack. He said attack Amalek. Those are the people I want you to attack. And don't just attack them. I want you to utterly destroy them. All that they have. And do not spare them. Is that clear? Could it be any clearer? Go, attack, utterly destroy, do not spare. It's right there. Very clear. All right, you would think we've got to really spell this out. So we, get, we throw another sentence in here just to help that out. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child. Because we already know Saul's got a record. He's going to begin to work this thing through. And if I say, attack Amalek and utterly destroy all they have. Well, he didn't mean the kids. Really, did he, he didn't mean the kids. I mean, the women, what's wrong with them? No, we're just supposed to be here to attack the, 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 the fighting men. The little children, we can let them go. No. Man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He does not say ugly donkeys. He does not say the ugly ox. He says the ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Utterly destroy them. Wipe them out. Get rid of them. So there's the commission. So Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Talaim, 200,000 foot shoulders and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Samuel said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. Can he do that? Who did God say to attack? 
Amalek. Anybody else? Is he supposed to attack them? No. So he's well within the commission that when he sees these folks, look, if you stay here, I'm going to wipe you out. But you all to go. Go depart and get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of, the, out of Egypt. So we know the reason for this punishment is going back to how they treated them when they came out of Egypt. So he goes back in his own thinking. These folks treated them kindly. I'm not going to do to them what I'm doing to Amalek. So he's fully within the commission that God gave him to do this. There's no problem here. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Now that's kind of odd though. Here the Amalekites are and Saul says, look, you guys, got no beef with you. Y'all go. And the Canaanites uh, pick up their stuff and they are escorted out. But um, we're going we're gonna to take all you guys out. Yeah, let's go. On, uh, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is in the east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Can you see where envy and self-seeking have worked its way in? We came in there ready to destroy, wipe out, utterly destroy, kill, whatever board you want to put, everything they had, utterly destroy it all. And we got under, that is one, do you, that is one nice sheep. I don't have a sheep that good. I can't kill that sheep. I'll take, I'll take that sheep and I'll kill mine at home. Because that's a better sheep. And look at that ox. Wow. We don't have oxen that are that big. I mean, those, those weak ones, we can kill them over there. But these strong ones, let's take them back because they've they got some use to them. They got some used to. Think of it this way. God tells you to go into a certain city and utterly destroy them. And you're going in there and you're destroying them. You open up the garage and inside of the garage is a Ferrari. Brand new. Your favorite color. What do you do? I've been believing God for one of those. I have been confessing. I have a new Ferrari for three years. I have believed with all my heart that my Ferrari is coming. I even called the color, the interior, the engine, the options. And this car is exactly like I've been confessing. Glory to God that he brought me to this garage. Because I am going to claim my inheritance. Can you see how that would happen? This is what's happening with these guys. They're seeing stuff. Oh, I could use that oxen. Oh, that goat. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, we could use that goat. Oh, those sheep. Look at how full that that wool is. Oh, this is and what a color! My wife would just love a sweater that color. We've got to bring this, got to bring this back. Can't we can't just let all these things go? But Saul and the people spared. Well, we did that. Verse verse ten. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, "I greatly regret that I have set Saul up as king." For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he has set up a monument for himself there. Uh-huh. 
What is it that causes confusion? Envy and self-seeking. And he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. <laughs> I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Has he gotten a little bit blind? I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is his bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice the Lord our, your God. And the rest, oh, those, we've utterly destroyed them. We did exactly what we utterly destroyed them. We wiped them out. Then Saul, Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And, Samuel said to, and Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. All right. Saul has just been confronted by Samuel and said, this is what God said, this is what you did. Yeah, but I obeyed God. It'd be like when you crossed over the street to get the ball and came on back and your mom saw you. Why'd you go out in the street? I didn't go. I just saw you go out in the street. No, I didn't go. But you went in the street, you got that ball, that ball got hit across, and that ball's in your hand. You didn't go. Oh, this ball? Totally oblivious to, to this. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He didn't say bring back Agag. He said utterly destroy them all. He didn't say bring back some sacrifices. He said, utterly destroy them all. But you see, envy and self-seeking came in. And the people said, Saul, we got an idea here. We think that if we take some of these things back, we can keep some of them, sacrifice some of them, and we'll be okay. And he went along with it. Because what was, was it clear what Samuel said? He even spelled it out a little bit more. I want you to kill them all. I want you to kill the men, the women, the children, the nursing infant, I want you to kill them all. Wipe them out. Ox, sheep, camels, all of them. But you see, envy and self-seeking came in. Ended up bringing confusion. He says, but I obeyed the voice of the Lord. But he didn't. Verse 21, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice the Lord your God. So, now all of a sudden we have light. The people took of the things that should have been utterly destroyed. I didn't do it. I got, I got no sheep. I got no oxen. Nope. The people do. They did that so they could sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft 
and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, he is calling what he is doing right now rebellion. When we do not obey what God has said to do, we are in rebellion. And look at this. Rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. We just heard somebody, I think brother, brother Keith Moore was talking about this in one of his recent services. He said, what would you think if someone came over to your house and they saw some uh, witchcraft paraphernalia around there? And they said, what is this? Oh, we're just, we're just into a little witchcraft. What would you think about that? How would, you, uh, how would that make you feel about that person? Well, you know, we only do witchcraft, you know, a couple of times a year. Would that, would that make you feel good about that? Mm-mm. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. As much as we would stay away from witchcraft, we need to stay away from rebellion. Don't do it. Do not rebel. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Well, at least he admits what the problem was. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. His biggest concern is how he looks to the people. Because envy and self-seeking has gotten in. Because of it, he doesn't see things as clearly. And confusion has come. He's just told him, your kingdom is going to be ripped from you. Okay, I, I got that. You're going to take the kingdom away from me? Yeah, give it to another. But please, come back with me and let people see that you're still standing with him. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so your mother be childless among women. <clears throat> and Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul and, Saul. and Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Is it Samuel's job as the prophet and the priest? Is it his job to kill kings? It is not his job to kill kings. You remember that uh, David was not allowed to build the house of the Lord? Remember why? Because you are a man of war. No, we're going to get another one who's not a man of war. You did war. I, I anointed you to be a man of war. But that anointing make you a man of war. I don't want you to do this. And because of Saul's disobedience, someone had to step into his office and do what he was supposed to do. Because he decided to step into someone else's office and do what he should not have done. These things should not be coming into our, our life. Now, let's take all this and tie it into something that we can use. How can I be sure 
what I hear is God. Because that's really what we're coming to these stories for. How can I be sure that what I have heard in the Spirit is God speaking to me? Compare what you hear to who God is. If the purpose is to see, is this of God? Not is it true. Is it of God? Because if it's of God, it's truth. That's all you have to know is that God, God said it. If God told you, you walked into a, a car lot, and God all of a sudden said to you, you shall buy this car. Do you need to check anyone else's opinion out on that? Do you need to say, all right, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to first have my mechanic check it, and uh, I'm going to make sure that we can do everything with the bank, and I'm going to make sure that we can... No, what do you do? If God says... This is your, you know what in your spirit, you know it in your spirit. God said, this is what you are supposed to do. Then you go out there and you do it. But most of the time, I think God is saying, I'm not sure. I've got to get that certainty. Did God really say this? Compare what you hear to who God is. In 1 John 4 and verse 8, it says this, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, Technically, this is how this reads. God, as to his nature, is love. Or the nature of God is love. So whatever God is going to do, it's going to be based in love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 describes love for us. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love is. If I get something in the Spirit that I think might be God, what I need to do is compare it to who God is. Not who I think God is. Who God is. Is. And the only way you know that is to go to the Word of God. You all have heard people say, well, I don't think God would. And they name some kind of stupid thing that they don't think God would do. Yet His Word says He would do it. I don't think God would send everybody to hell. Oh, He won't send everybody. Just whoever doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's all. <laughs> well, I don't think a loving God would send anyone to hell. Well, then you're a fool. Because the Word of God plainly states... This is what's going to happen. So love suffers long and is kind. Does not envy. Does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. If you get something in the spirit that begins to puff you up, put other people down. Give you an example. Well, Steve, one day you will be around people as spiritual as you are. But in the meantime, you have to put up with these guys. I mean, they're foolish. They don't know the word. They don't trust God. But you do. Now you keep walking the way you're walking, even though you are surrounded by fools. Now, if that came to me, what would I say? Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) Right? Because God does not come in and puff you up. That's not what God's going to do. Especially to put other people down. Love suffers long, it says. And it's kind. God is going to speak things to you that are in line with suffering long and being kind. That's what he's going to do. It does not behave rudely. Why were you rude to that waiter? Well, they weren't doing their job. 
You feel God gave you that word for that for that waiter? Sure do. Maybe he'll learn from it. Love does not behave rudely. It doesn't do it. Don't behave rudely. Brother Hagen, uh, he was telling a story. I was listening to him on, on this. He was in a pastor's. I get amazed that there are pastors out there who do this. He never told, said who the pastor was, but he's in the pastor's home. And they were conducting a, a, a series of meetings, I think, for about a week. And uh, they, they were there. They, they didn't have much money at all. They didn't have any money. So they didn't get to eat. They ate a sandwich the day before they, they left. Drove all day. Got to the place, he and his wife. And uh, they were in the, the parsonage. And they, they were greeted by the pastor. said, we have to go out right now. Uh, we'll be back later on. And so they left. And they left them there all day. Never got them anything to eat. They said, well, surely they'll come in you know, before the meeting. And well, we'll, we'll fix something. We'll go out. We'll, we'll do something. Didn't do it at all. They got there in time for the meeting. Took them over to the church. They had the meeting. Went to bed that night. Hadn't eaten anything, anything all day. One sandwich the day before. And so they got up that morning and they thought, well, surely, you know, we'll do some breakfast together or something like that. And, and they got up and the pastor and his wife were gone. Not in the house. And so they said, well, this is kind of crazy. Let's look around and see what we can find. And so they found a couple of slices of bread, one egg, and um, I think uh, 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 one thing of tea. And so they made up the one egg and put it on the bread and... Um, that's what they had. That's all they had to eat. That's all that was in the house, and you know they split the tea between them. And so they went in, and ministered to another night, and the next day, again, pastor's wife gone. They're there a whole day, hadn't eaten anything for all this, this time. And so, pastor, uh, brother Hagen, he knew the guy who was district head over all these churches. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him up, and I'm gonna tell him what kind of people he has working for him. That this is just not right. And so he left the room. We get the phone. Made the started punching the number. He had his own home. He had the home phone number of that guy. He's going to call him up, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell him what for. I'm going to tell him what's going on down here. I'm sure he doesn't know about it. He called. He went in there to call him up, dialed a couple of numbers, and then hung up the phone. And so he went back into the room. His wife said, "What did he say?" I didn't call him because he he felt convicted in his spirit. Don't do it. Don't don't even if they're rude. Don't you behave rudely yourself. Well, it continued to go on. The next day, the day after that, he said, that's it. I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him and tell him that this, this just shouldn't go on. We shouldn't be not having anything to eat for all these days, ministering and so forth. And uh, he went in there to dial. Again, he came back in the room. His wife said, what do you say? I didn't call him. Love does not behave rudely, which means God is not going to speak to you through the Spirit about things to say about others that are rude. If What you got is rude. Scratch it off. It's not of God. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not self-seeking. It's not provoked. How many of you have felt the inspiration of God when people have said things to you that provoked you? That is not God. Whatever it is that comes, don't do it. It will not be God. Test the spirits, it says. It does not rejoice in iniquity. How many of you know Christians? Certainly no one here, but other Christians in other places. Then they, they get something about somebody. Did you hear that brother so-and-so did this? And you're almost glad about it. It does not rejoice 
in iniquity. It's not glad that people have fallen. It's not glad that people have, have had uh, problems. But rejoices in the truth. Rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God is not going to share with you negative things about other people. How many of you have ever been this way? You've been in, in, a, in a church, you've been in a group somewhere, and all of a sudden in your spirit comes up something negative about this person over here. This person's in sin. This person's not obeying God. I, I feel that in my spirit. Really? And that's from God? I mean, what's the word of thing? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Hmm. Does that sound like God? God, as to his nature, is love. This is how God's going to operate. This is how God is going to behave. So if a spirit comes to your spirit and speaks something that is against what 1 Corinthians teaches, it is not of God. I don't care if it's true or not. It's not of God. And if it's not of God, you should not put faith in it, confidence in it, or do anything with it. Now, is God a positive person or a negative person? God's positive. God has a positive outlook on you. God thinks good things about you then if he is going to speak things to you about other people, is it going to be positive or is it going to be negative? It's going to be positive. So if you get negative stuff on other people, guess where it came from? Yeah, but it was true. I don't care if it was true. You're not told to test whether something is true or false. You are told to test whether it's of God. That's all. But it was true. If it was true, I should say it. No! Aren't you glad that God does not speak all the truth about you? Thank God He doesn't. Aren't you glad that God does not deal with all the truth that you live in right now? God simply says, we're going to deal with a couple of truths that you're in. And we're going to let the other ones go for right now. We're just going to work on these things over here. I know that that's going on and you shouldn't be doing that and all. That's, that's true. But we're not working on that one right now. We're working over here. We're doing these things. Does God dwell on the good in people? Or the bad. What's he do? God's going to dwell on the good in people, not the bad. So if you get things in the spirit about other people and it's bad, it's not God. Does God keep a record of wrong? Then how can he be sharing it with you? Is God full of joy or is he a downer? Think about that. Is God full of joy or is God a downer? If he is full of joy, what he shares with you should spread joy. If what you are getting in the spirit is bringing you down, it is the wrong spirit. It's the wrong one. Is God optimistic about the future or is he pessimistic? God's optimistic. You read the Bible, you're going to find out how optimistic God is. God has a optimistic view of the future that you think, how can you think this? These people are bad. Israel was nasty. Israel kept doubting you. Israel kept letting you down, going the wrong, and you kept promising them. You kept doing these things. How long did God continue with Abraham? How many of you would have given up on Abraham? After 10 years. God stayed with him for 25. 
And he turned it around. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. If God has called you to be, as far as malice is concerned, to be babes, but in other things be mature, in understanding be mature. And you all know, you've heard this example. If you go up to a little infant baby, six months old, and you said all kinds of nasty things to him, he'd smile and coo and wouldn't be phased by it at all, right? In malice be as babes. And yet we think we hear things in the spirit that other people have said to us in malice. And God is saying to us, hey, be careful that one. They're saying these evil things about you. So God is telling you this. In malice, I want you to be as babes, but I'll reveal to you the malice that other people are speaking. Really? If God wants you to be, as far as malice is concerned, as babes, why is he revealing any of it to you? Why is it that you would know in your spirit that so-and-so has evil intent for you, has malice toward you, has said things against you? Why would he reveal that to you if he's telling you in his word that as far as malice is concerned, be as babes, don't, e- don't even understand it. Don't even understand it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. We can keep going on with scriptures here over and over again, but we're just looking at a couple. And why do you look at, your, at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove this, the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clarity to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And yet people continually say, God has shown me that this needs to be removed in your life. Really? What did he show you about your life? What did he speak to you about your life that you were supposed to remove before you came over here and took that out of mind? Whatever you hear in the Spirit, compare it to who God is. Because you are not judging its truth. You are judging its source. Did it come from God? Does it spread joy? Does it spread gladness? Well, there are some people who spoke some harsh things in the Word of God. Yeah, and you're not one of them. The people who did that in the Word of God were people who walked in this for a long time. And they could hear God's voice like most of us can only dream about. You wait till you walk into that kind of a, a lifestyle and then you, then you can start operating on that. But most of us, we're not there. If God is going to speak something to you, it should be joyful. What you are doing for ministry in the Word of God, it should bring joy to your life. If not, you have allowed the wrong spirits to speak the wrong things into what you do for God, and ministry has become turmoil. It's not that God hasn't called you to do it anymore. It's that you have followed after the wrong voice, and you are hearing too much of the wrong spirit's input. And what you're doing is wearing you out. But God refreshes you get in the presence of God and people are refreshed. That's how we ought to walk. Put this in your outline for you. When you learn principles about who God is, apply them to what you hear God saying. When you learn principles about who God is, apply them to what you hear God saying. Has God really said Well, is that in the character of God? You see, as sold out as God is for your good, He is sold out for the person next to you. 
for their good. As optimistic as he is on your future, he's optimistic on their future. And if he's going to share things to you, he's going to share things that are optimistic about their future, about where they're going. And when people leave your presence and hear your words, they should be encouraged. They should be filled with joy. They should be looking forward to you coming by again. How many of you have people in your life that when you see them coming, oh, where can I go? Oh, please, please don't see me. Please don't see me. Please don't. Because they're going to get your ear and they're going to fill you with all kinds of negative things. Don't become one of those people. Speak good things. Speak joyful things. And one of the first places that you do that is when in your spirit you hear something negative, you hear something down, you hear something devastating, you judge it before God and say, would God say that to me about them? And if I say, God, that's not in your nature, that's not in your character to speak that kind of thing to me about them. So therefore, I'm rejecting this as being of your source. It's of the source of the devil. And I'm not going to act on it. I'm not going to have belief on it because I have put this to the test. And it's not right. And if you put this to the test long enough, you will change your life. There was a story we were listening to uh, going over Brother Hagin's um, teachings on in, in him. If you've ever been through those, they're good ones to, to go through. But he was talking to a young, uh, 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 I'm sorry, not young, but a, a mom. Her, her, her son was you know, tw- in his 20s somewhere. And uh, he'd just gone, she'd taken him to church all the time. And he just wasn't going that way. And she came up to him and says, I want you to promise me that you will pray for this thing I'm asking you to pray for every day. And he said, I'm not going to promise you that. I don't even know what you're asking for yet. You got to tell me what you want me to pray for. And then I'll tell you whether I pray for it every day. So she said, my son, used to, we used to go to church. He used to go to church with us all the time. Now he doesn't. He's out drinking all night, late at night, comes in three, four o'clock in the morning. Drunk. He's got a foul mouth. He's not living right at all. He's doing all kinds of, of nasty things. And, uh, you know, he's gotten in trouble with the law a few times and, and just spouted out all those things. And said, so I just want you to pray for him that he'll come around. And Brother Hagin said to her, he said, I'm not going to pray for him not even one time. I'm not even going to pray for him one day, let alone every day. I'm not even going to pray for him right now. She said, you won't? He says, no, it won't do any good. He says, why in the world should I be praying for him when out of your mouth you keep speaking things like, you keep do- going this way, you're going to be in jail. If you keep going this way, you're on your way to hell. How do you know that I've said those things? And he said, because he turned out the way he did. <laughs> he says, you need to change you if you will speak positive things about that son. If you will stop putting him down. If you will stop declaring his future to be a failure, you will see a different son. And so she went home. And to her credit, she did it. She changed the way she was talking. And so she came back later on. I don't know how long it was. It was weeks, months. I don't know what it was. Whatever time period it was, go in the In Him series and you can listen to it yourself and find out how that, how that time. I didn't remember that, that part. But she came to him and she says, I want to thank you for a change son. She said, I, it, things went on. I, I did exactly what you said. And things went on just like they always had and, um, for a couple of weeks. And one Saturday night, he came in again at 4 a.m. in the morning, drunk. 
I heard him get in. I heard him go upstairs. I got up for church the next day. I was getting ready for church. As I'm getting ready for church and getting breakfast done, he came down and sat at the table and says, Mom, I'm going to church with you. And, she, and I said to him, I said, No, you don't, don't go to church. You need your rest. You've got work tomorrow. You got in late. I heard you get in. You got in real late. You need your sleep. You go back up to bed and you get some sleep. I'll, I'll go to church myself. No, Mom, I'm going to church with you. And he went to church. Next weekend, the exact same thing happened. Out till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Came home drunk. She came down in the morning to get ready for church. He came down too and said, Mom, I'm going to church with you. Again, she tried to talk him out of it. No, you don't need to go to church. You need to, you need to go get some rest. Just, just going up and, and, and get some rest. I'm not going to hassle you about going to church. You just uh, get, some, get some rest, get ready for your work tomorrow. No, Mom, I'm going to church with you. Went to church with her that day. Ended up going to church that night, Saturday night or Sunday night service. Went to church that night, and that night he went down to the altar and got saved. And she said, "I want to thank you not only for a changed son, but she said it changed me." She said, "I'm full of joy anymore. I wasn't full of joy before. He's full of joy. Our house has changed. Our words have changed. The Spirit of God does not speak negative insights to you." That's another spirit masquerading as God. And you need to put it to the test and determine that its source is not God and stop putting faith in it. If you hear words that say, you see this going on in your life, it's going to result in you dying. It's going to result in you losing your job. It's going to result in you failing. Does God speak that way? Does God have that outlook about your future? No. Then stop putting faith in it. Quit it. I rebuke that. That is not of God. Your source is not God. Because this is what my Bible says about who God is. And he doesn't do this. And you say no to those voices and stop speaking them out of your mouth. And stop putting them in other people's lives. Your life will be filled with joy. Your life will change. And the people around you, their life will change. Because we have to make the discerning the decision between what is God and what is not. And stop putting faith in everything we hear in the realm of the Spirit. Because there are many spirits out there who want to speak to you. Not just the Holy Spirit. Stop tuning them in. Stop speaking it out. It's imperative for your enjoyment of life because the enemy wants to take the joy out of your life and replace it with depression. Replace it with things that are going to cause you to be down. To get you to think that your future isn't bright. That there is no hope. Just die now and go on to heaven. But that's not your God. That's not Him. Listen to the voice of the things that he says. But just touch this. We've got a lot more on this to, to go in the, in the time to come. It's, can you see how important it is that you make the decision on what is God and what is not? And that too often we as Christians have decided that a wrong voice is the voice of God and we've embraced it. We have believed it. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out among you. That if you don't follow this and be careful, 
you can be in the same category as a false prophet. Boy, we sure don't want to be there, do we? Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, your outlook on our life is bright. You are hopeful. You put us down here for a divine purpose, and it's a good one. And if we have fallen into despair about life, it is because we have put faith in the wrong spirits. We have put faith in the wrong words that have been spoken to us. The wrong things that we have heard. But Father, we can judge right now that those things are false and those things are not of you and stop believing in them and put our trust in you. Father, we love you and we know that you love us and you love those that are around us and you speak good things about them and you speak good things about us. And I thank you, Father. Oh, I thank you for the help that you give us in this. I thank you, Father. The way you are going places, that you are taking us places, if we just listen to your voice. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Do we have praise reports? I see a couple up here. Anyone else with some? You want to read these, these off for me? My wife is in there working with the kids this morning. Yellow. This is from Daryl. So they're cleaning out a house this week and we're running out of room in the dumpster. At the moment, we were going to have to figure out what to do. Um, to do with the additional items. God sent someone to take them away for us. That's kind of cool, not having to get rid of stuff you don't want by yourself. That's <laughs> okay. Another from Daryl says, we had the opportunity to get a contract with Planned Parenthood. However, we honored God and passed on the contract, and God brought several jobs to replace what we turned down. That's awesome. Wow. That's really cool. Um, Phyllis said, Scar had some brake trouble. It ended up only costing under $100. <laughs> That's cool, though. And she said she had tooth pain, but worshipped through it. And then I guess got prayed over today, so then next week we'll expect another praise report from her. And it's all healed. Josiah, one, my car had broken down at a traffic light a couple weeks ago. During the whole situation, I felt so much peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's dangerous. I'm assuming a dangerous situation, and that's not peaceful in any way. So that's cool. My cell phone died last week, but I didn't have to buy a new one. I was able to get an upgraded phone for a small deductible. That's cool. And number three, geez, kid. Also, I had received a raise and a bonus at my job. Number four. Last week, I had opportunities to make extra money as well. I thank God for his wisdom and blessings. That's, that's really cool. Then I have just a quick one. Nikolai um, reached a pretty big milestone in the project that he's working with this week. And what's really cool about it is that he works with the directors, the CEO, CFO, vice presidents of every, you know, chapter in his company. And all of the different processes that they suggested for him to use pale in comparison to the ones that he's found himself or been led to by God to bring people in. So he's kind of like, yeah, I'm doing it. And they're like, how? And he goes, well, <laughs> let me show you how. So it's, it's, it's validating more and more that this was the right decision and, you know, I'm, I'm good with exceeding expectations. That's all. Amen.
Oh, that's good. All right, stand up one more time. As we get ready to go, if you're uh, planning on sticking around here, around 1 o'clock we'll get started on the End Times class. We've got some interesting stuff for you to look at that really ties in what is happening now in this world with what was going on in Daniel. If you're at the End Times class in the past, we never covered this. So we're going to show you something completely different. So that'll be going on. It's about 1 o'clock. We'll go for about an hour on that, and we can get through some of the, these things. Um, if you're, so if you're coming back, you can either go out and get lunch, bring it back here with you. You can eat in the kitchen or eat wherever you're going and just come on back. But 1 o'clock, we'll pick that up and uh, have that going on. Wednesday night, we're going to be continuing on with the last kings. We had some interesting, we're doing a lot of uh, going back and forth between the kings and Jeremiah because we're seeing Jeremiah's prophecies to these particular kings and it's given us a real good picture of what happened during that, those times and, and seeing that, that um, uh, some of the things that, that had, had gone on. So anyway, that's going on on Wednesday and then next Sunday, of course, we'll be here, 4th of July weekend. I know some of you folks will be traveling, but uh, we'll be seeing all the folks that are, that are still around. Bless some folks before you get out of here today and we will see you all, uh, some of you in just a little bit.